our scripture that can be found in the bulletin. This is on page 4, Psalm 69, 30 through 32. This is King David speaking, singing. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. The word of the Lord. Well, this is a Thanksgiving service for us because Thanksgiving is coming up this week and perhaps the preparations are starting in your house. A little bit of history and Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has actually been celebrated in this country on and off since 1789 after Congress requested uh, a proclamation by George Washington to be honored. And it has actually been celebrated in our country every single year since 1863, when during the American Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens to be celebrated on the last Thursday in November. Now knowing the history of thanksgiving, What you really care about is the food, don't you? Thanksgiving is about the food. I don't know if you have any particular favorites that you have. I have some. Does anybody have the sweet potato casserole with the marshmallows on top? That is quite tasty. Uh, As well as maybe the green bean casserole. Anybody with the little French's crunchies on the top there? That's quite fine. Anybody do a turducken? for Thanksgiving. Anybody ever eaten a turducken for Thanksgiving? The turducken is a fantastic picture of American consumption in which one takes a turkey and stuffs a duck in it and stuffs a chicken in the duck. Thus when you cut into the turkey you're actually having a slice of turkey, duck and chicken at the same time. Thus the term turducken. So I encourage you, if you have not yet bought your bird, that you consider something as eclectic as the turducken. What does this have to do with this psalm that I'm about to preach? Well, absolutely nothing. But it's a great way to get things going. You know, this psalm that David uh, gives, writes, and sings in the psalms is actually a very interesting one. A little bit of the background of it, it's actually a psalm that would be called a lament. Meaning if you start at the beginning of the psalm and you read, David is lamenting his condition. He's actually going through difficult times. And it seems that everyone, even his friends, are sort of piling on, making the misery even greater. I don't know if you've experienced times like that in your life, but often when I experience times like that, I want to sort of crawl in a hole or develop a mentality that the sky is falling, that all is to be lost. And yet David says something very interesting. He says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. What a strange way to magnify the Lord with thanksgiving, particularly in the midst of the difficulties of his circumstance. The truth of the matter, it's not that different than the original thanksgiving and the pilgrims that came to this country which we'll speak about later. The point I'm trying to make in the service is this. 
that regardless of the circumstances in our life, it's gratitude that glorifies God. And in Christ, we have so much to be thankful for. And so let's respond with praise and thanksgiving because we have so much to be thankful for. I want to talk about three things in these brief three hours that we have together. Number one, how do we glorify God? What is it that God desires from us in the way that we are to glorify Him? Number two, how does it affect God? What is God's response when we choose to glorify Him? And then finally, number three, how does it affect others? How do our actions have an effect on those around us? Well, let's begin with this beginning of this psalm in which David says, I will praise the name of God with a song. Now we have to ask ourselves the question, what type of song? David writes lots of different songs. And in Hebrew poetry, you'll notice that um, usually there's two lines or couplets, sometimes a triplet. But the second line helps to magnify or explain what the first line is. And so when he says, I will magnify him, uh, I will praise the name of God with a song, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. David is writing a song of thanksgiving to God. And it's a volitional decision to magnify him, I will, with thanksgiving. Now this word magnify is a very interesting one. We really use it in two different ways. The first is magnify like a microscope. I've started using these, much to my chagrin. These, like a microscope, take something small and they make it big. But a telescope is very different, isn't it? It takes something big and it makes it near. So we can see its greatness even better. That's the sort of magnification that David is talking about. And why is David doing that? There's a tendency in our life for God to grow small in the midst of our circumstances. Indeed, in the midst of the message that we receive from the world, that there is no God, and if there is, He is of little consequence. But David is making a volitional decision to magnify God, and the way he's going to do it is through thanksgiving. A strange way, you may think, to magnify something. But actually, when you think of the word thanks, thank you, it actually is derived from the word think. Specifically, I will remember, I will think, I will remember what you have done for me. In other languages, for instance, in Spanish, you use the word gracias, which we would derive the word grace. What you've done for me is gracious, or in French, merci, from which we get the word mercy. You've given mercy to me, and so I will remember what you have done for me. If there's anyone that should understand the concept of thanksgiving, it should be us in America, right? Thanksgiving to God. If we look at our Declaration of Independence, we hear these words in the beginning, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. These among these being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Indeed, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men 
deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. See, America is quite amazing because in the first time of the history of the world, there was a government that was specifically established to protect the rights that have been given to men by God. We don't think much about that, but it really was quite revolutionary and still is. That God has given us the source of um, uh, the life, the, uh, the opportunity for life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness comes from a munificent God who has given those things to us. That's why it's insane people that say, hey, we want to take God out of, out of the Constitution, out of America. God is the foundation for the rights that we have. But you see, they're rights because they're privileges that are given to us by God. He didn't have to give them to us. He chose to, right? He endowed us with them. It was the great Martin Luther King that said, all men are made in the image of God. All men are brothers. All men are created equal. And every man is heir to a legacy of dignity and worth. Every man has rights that are neither conferred by nor derived from the state. They are God-given. And so whether you are a Christian or not, the foundation of our life, the privileges we experience in this country come from God. If we're honest, we recognize the fact that we did not create ourselves. That it is God that gave us life. The psalmist says, For you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The dignity that man has comes from the fact that they were made in the image of God. The fact that I can think and talk and speak and get up here before you. They're all gifts from God. I do not sustain myself. What is that saying? I had the blues because I had no shoes till on the street I met a man who had no feet. The fact that I can walk and be a part of life, that I'm living, it's a gift from God. The fact that I have friends that care about me, a family to love and to be loved by, these are gifts from God. Indeed, the scriptures say every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. But David is speaking even more of thanksgiving than simply the, the things that God gives to all human beings. He's speaking of the covenant faithfulness of God. That as an Israelite, God has shined His light upon the nation and said, I will give you an inheritance, a place to rest. I will be your God and you will be your, my people and I will dwell with you. David's reflecting back on his life as a small shepherd boy who had nothing and who became the king of Israel and had everything. And even more so, God promising to him that I will bless your house and from you will come the Savior, the one who will bless all, who will save all. In the midst of David's difficulty, he's making God come close by recounting and reciting and thanking God. David wrote it in a different soul, uh, psalm, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless the Lord and forget not His benefits, 
who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit so that your youth is renewed like the eagle, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. If David can remember God's covenant faithfulness, surely we can as well. For we stand on the other side of the coming of the Savior, the one that told us that we could call God our Heavenly Father. Is it not Romans 8.31 that says to us, what can we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously along with him give us all things? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Indeed, if you are a Christian, we can even give thanks for the hard things in our life. Does not Romans 8.26 say, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purposes. So even amidst the evil and the hardship and the difficulty, if we traced our line across His life, across our life, we can see God's hand in the midst of the gentleness of it. We know how this all ends. That even in the difficulty and hardship, God's goodness is being worked out in our lives. Circumstances in so many ways are illusions. Not that they're not real in their pain and difficulty, but in the fact that there is a beneficent God who is behind them, a heavenly Father who is orchestrating our good. There is much cause to give thanks when we think about it. When we stop and examine our lives, what He's done, what He's doing, what He will do. The original impetus behind Thanksgiving, we know the story of the pilgrims, right? Who landed on Plymouth Rock. Oh, I know there was Jamestown and all of those things. But it's very similar if you look at these original people. They had a desire to worship God. The original pilgrims, they were dissenters in the country of England. And they were sad and much alarmed with the condition of the church. That the truth was not being preached. And yet they could not preach the truth. It was illegal not to attend Sunday services and to preach without a license. And so they desired to gather after God to recount His goodness in the Scriptures. They were forced to leave England and emigrated to Holland looking for a safe place to worship God. And ultimately, they were persecuted there and finally made the decision to come to the United States of America. They left in 1620, two different ships, the Mayflower and the Speedwell. And they were crammed in, about 103 passengers. Well, the Speedwell actually was sabotaged by the crew that were afraid of making the trip. And so the people on the Speedwell came over on the Mayflower. And so you can imagine the cramped conditions. And because time had been lost, they were going to be forced to winter, uh, uh, the winter in New England off the coast of Cape Cod on this small boat. Think of the berths. I mean, really, you're talking about the size of a school bus in terms of the passage. 
crammed in together. And then when they got there, the starving time began, right? By the time of the summer, over half of those people had died. And yet God was faithful, wasn't He? We know the stories of Squanto, who came, who had been a part of uh, uh, the... Uh, had come to England and he, t- he taught them how to, how to plant crops and how to eat and they had the first Thanksgiving with King Massasoit who was, I never can say that well, Lin- Linus says it best, right? Uh, from the Peanuts, Massasoit or whatever his name is. And they were, they were gracious instead of murdering them and killing them and so they had this Thanksgiving. This was one of the prayers that they prayed. After scurvy and pain and losing people. Because they finally had the opportunity to worship God after His way. In this inhospitable wilderness. God met them there. O Lord, our God and Heavenly Father, which of Thy unspeakable mercy toward us, has provided meat and drink for the nourishment of our weak bodies. Grant us peace to use them reverently as from thy hands with thankful hearts. Let thy blessing rest upon these, thy good creatures, to our comfort and sustentation. And grant we humbly beseech thee, good Lord, that as we do, as we do hunger and thirst for this food of our bodies, so our souls may earnestly long after the food of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Was there a temptation to curse God and die in the midst of the difficulties. To see all the suffering. To throw up their hands and say, God is not with us. No, they decided to magnify through thanksgiving. The truth is we are all magnifying, Christ- uh, uh, we're all magnifying creatures. So the question I have for you is simply this. Who do you magnify? Who do you make great in your heart? Is it the things of this earth? Is it the idols of the world? Or is it the God of the universe? And not only who do we magnify, but when do we magnify? When things are great and wonderful and I have much cause to give thanks? Or in the midst of all circumstances, understanding that God is there, even when I can't see Him. The truth of the matter is this, that it is probable that in most of us, our spiritual life is impoverished and stunted because we give so little place to gratitude in our lives. And so I'm calling you and myself to recognize. Recognize the good things that God has done in your life. Recognize where you were and where He's brought you. Recognize and magnify and give thanks to God. Recognize the hard things in life. But recognize that God is in the midst of them and that He is teaching me. And that because I worship Him, I call Him Lord. In all things, they're working for good. Recognize and eulogize. Make Him big through thanksgiving. And what will happen as he grows larger and larger, your circumstances grow smaller and smaller. And a fire begins to be kindled in your heart as you start to see life arightly 
maybe for the first time. Make Him big. Glorify Him through thanksgiving. This brings me to my second point, how the Lord responds. Verse 31 shows the response of God to this magnification through thanksgiving, that this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. He's specifically, David is referring when he's talking about these animals, he's referring to the sacrificial practices. When as an Israelite, you would make offerings to the Lord, whether for sins, but also offerings of thanksgiving. When you would bring things to the Lord, things of value. See, back in the day, they didn't have stocks. They had flocks. That was their wealth. And so to bring a bull, an animal, to bring, to be sacrificed was to give something valuable. And yet if there's no offering of thanksgiving along with it, it means nothing to God. Indeed, in Psalm 50, God testifies against Israel. I will testify against you. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves within the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. See, God is angry with the Israelites because essentially they're trying to bribe God. I'm bringing something of value to you so you can recognize me and give your blessing to me. But God sees through that and He says, whatever you're bringing to me, it's mine already. I gave it to you in the first place. But there is one thing that I don't have. There's one thing that I don't lay possession to. It's your heart. It's the one thing you can give volitionally to God. It's the one thing that he doesn't have by design. See, what this passage tells us is it matters to God what we think of him. It matters what's going on in my heart, how I respond to God's love and care in my life. See, that should make perfect sense to us when we think about it. If you're a parent that has children, right? And He is our Heavenly Father if you are a believer in Christ. As a father of children, what matters to me is their heart toward me. Not what they do as much as what's behind what they do. There's no greater pleasure in a parent's life when a child comes freely and says to them, I, I love you, thank you for what you're doing. But when they try to pay you back when they don't recognize the love and the grace. It's painful in a way. See, for some of us, our relationship with God, it's a transaction. It's not a relationship. Right? Well, I want you to do good things for me, and so I'm going to give to you what belongs to you, and we're going to have this arm's length approach. I give, you give, it's quid pro quo, it's great. 
That's not Christianity. Maybe some other religions, but it's not Christianity. It's not a transaction, it's a relationship. For some of us, Christianity or religion, it's not a transaction, it's a treadmill. I've got to work to become great. I've got to work to merit favor in my God's eyes. And so I'm going to show up. I'm going to punch my clock. I'm going to serve, serve, serve. And I'm going to give, give, give. And I'm going to keep my nose clean. And I'm going to do all the right things. And maybe then God will see me. He'll make me great. I'll show up on His radar screen. But you see, Christianity's foundation is grace given to us through Jesus Christ who became nothing that we might become something. It's He who makes me great. What His greatest desire is is for me to be grateful. Not great. He's already made me great. And it's thankfulness that really reveals our heart. See, it's actually more important to thank God for blessings afterward than to pray for them beforehand. For that forward-looking prayer, right as it may be as an expression of dependence on God, still has a self-centered interest to it, doesn't it? But thanksgiving is different. It's backward-looking. An act of thanksgiving is quite free. In fact, it's quite selfless. That's why it's akin to love. All of our love to God is in response to God's love for us. As 1 John 4.19 says, we love Him because He first loved us. See, that's the difference between Christians and unbelievers. People that don't believe, this world in general, does not give thanks to God. Because to give thanks to someone is to acknowledge their greatness that they are greater, that we are in debt to them, so to speak. And so the scriptures tell us that although the world has a sense, a clear understanding that there is a God, they neither glorify Him or give thanks to Him. But would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? It's not the person who prays the most, or fasts the most, or lives the most. I think the greatest saint in the world is he or she who is most thankful to God. Who receives everything as an instance of God's goodness. And has a heart that's always ready to praise God for it. I've been very convicted of this in my life as I've been meditating on this passage. It's one of the difficulties of being a pastor, you know. You've got to drink your medicine first before you give it out. I'm not a grateful person. I take my circumstances and I let them determine what I think of God and what I think of others. Recognizing that there's something that needs to change in my heart. I need to become more of a telescope of God. You ever look at the moon through a telescope, by the way? It's really quite amazing. You know, it's this white disk in the sky. You can see something, but when you look at it through a telescope, all of a sudden you start to see the nooks and the crannies, right? The sea of tranquility, the topography of it. When I start 
to focus a telescope on what God has done in my life, I start to see His character. Start to see His graciousness. Start to see His love for me. He starts to become greater and greater. And I discover my heart being softened more and more. What's your relationship with God like? Is it a transaction? Arm's length approach? You do your part and I'll do my part. Don't fall down on the job. Is it a treadmill? I don't have time to look at him. I'm running as hard as I can. I got to keep adding to the bank account because there's a drain somewhere in this thing. Or is it a father and a child? Have you received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you put your hopes in His blood, in His righteousness? It is a gift, isn't it? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. I want to challenge you to aspire to a new form of greatness. A life of thanking Him. It becoming the natural extension of my heart, of my life force. Thanking Him for who He is and what He's doing, for the little things, for the big things. On a regular basis, sort of welling up from me to probe the depths of the providence of God. Maybe it takes setting a timer. I've actually been doing this this week. One of these repeat timers. Where on the hour it sort of beeps me. And I stop and pause and think about things to be thankful for. Maybe it's starting a journal. Starting to write down. Maybe it's a Monday noon and evening thing. I don't know what it is. But being deliberate about giving thanks to God. He will start to get big. Sure, we all have problems and difficulties at work. What if we started thanking God, the fact that we have work, the, thing that, the fact that we're able to do it, that we're educated enough to do it. We all have problems and difficulties in our marriage. Maybe some more than others. What if we started thanking God for the other person and who He gave us? The challenges and the chance to become greater in loving them. There's so much we can thank God for our spouse and for our children. Instead of focusing on all the flaws, focusing on all the gifts. You may experience emotional problems and difficulties in your life. It seems like there's always darkness. But what in the midst of that, we focus our telescope on God. Our heart will get bigger. Because the truth of the matter is gratitude glorifies God. This brings me to my final point, the effect that it will have on others. I love the uh, passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is taken up into the, uh, uh, the, this image of he sees the Lord seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple and there are these angelic creatures, the seraphim, and they're flying around. 
And it actually says, one is calling to the other and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. I find it very interesting that these seraphim are not calling out to God. But they're calling out to each other. It's almost as if they can't believe it. They have to sort of communicate as holy, holy, holy. They need to encourage one another to believe and see. See, the truth of the matter is God has made us to be a people. There's something about being a Christian where you want to congregate. We need to see each other through each other's eyes. Let me rephrase that. We need to see God through each other's eyes. Think of C.S. Lewis, you know, when a friend died, he would lament. Because he said, not only did I lose that friend, but I lost the ability to see all my other friends through his perspective. See, the scriptures say, when the humble see it, meaning this magnification through thanksgiving in your life, they will be glad. We do forget the greatness of God. We do forget what He's done and who He is and what He's doing in our life. But when we offer thanksgiving, when we write our songs, if you will, we hear from one another and it brings gladness. It helps us to see the truth and the reality of our circumstances. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. See, you need revival when you get discouraged, right? And you're tired. See, people are revived when they see your life, a life of thanksgiving as you recount. Let me tell you what He has done for me. Come and listen. It brings revival to a tired and weary people. We are pilgrims on a journey, aren't we? We're not there yet. But we're on this ship of... of uh, I almost said ship of fools. Fair enough. Ship of fools together. If the shoe fits, I guess we need to wear it. But revive also means the Hebrew word to bring to life. There are those who are spiritually dead. This world is a constant moaning for what we don't have. Right? What I don't have, the frustration. What if there was a group of people that was constantly sharing what they do have? What they're thankful for? What sort of impact would that have on the world? Huh? I think it would bring gladness and revival. Where you work. Where you live. Where you play. As you recount to one another, let me tell you what he's done for me. I'm going to issue, as they issued a Thanksgiving proclamation, a 30-day challenge. You ready? 30 things for 30 days. Every day to endeavor to give thanks for 30 things. And to share some of them with someone else. Maybe you start a blog. And on that blog you simply, let me tell you what he's done for me today. Let me tell you who he is in my life. Maybe it's just sending a text to one another. Maybe it's starting a journal. It's just you and God where I'm listing it out. 30 things for 30 days. 
See what happens in your life as you magnify Him with thanksgiving, irregardless of the circumstances. Gratitude glorifies God. And we have so much to be thankful for. So let's respond to His grace with continual praise and thanksgiving. For surely this will please the Lord as He sees our hearts the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I think that's a worthy goal of this Thanksgiving season. Let's pray. Oh Father, the fact that we can call you Father, the fact that you love us, that every hair on our head is numbered, the fact that you have plans for us, you've given us an inheritance, the fact that you want to teach us and show us your love for us, Lord, we could go on and on and there would not be enough minutes or hours or days to recount your faithfulness to us. Lord, help us to become people of gratitude. Let that become an instrumental part of our worship for you, for you are worthy. I pray for those among us who may be hearing the gospel for the first time, that they would receive the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ that they would bow their knee to you as Lord and Savior and choose you as life and their righteousness. That they too would be able to call you Heavenly Father and experience day after day the blessings that come with being a child of God. Lord, let us aspire to the right kind of greatness. To give thanks. Not because we have to, but because we want to. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.